listening to Total Reboot, the only podcast that takes place in seven years' time from now, where we discuss <laughs> movies, film, cinema, and the sacred culture known as DVD culture. My name is Alexi Toliopoulos, and co-hosting with me, as always on this podcast, <laughs> is my dearest buddy, Cameron James. Pleasure to be here in person yes, this time. Yes, a rare in-person recording. In the flesh. Yes, we are Nutted up. We are naked tonight. <laughs> we are as God and the devil intended us. <laughs> More the devil if you look down south. I got a little pitchfork of my own. <laughs> and I've got a spiked tail. <laughs> but we're not alone. We have Justin Hamilton, aka Hamo, here with us today. I'm totally nude. Yes. I'm oiled yes. up. <laughs> He's I'm the only one that uses the oil. Yeah. <laughs> it, it just kind of makes me look like I'm uh, ready for action. Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry I'm only mildly erect, but also, I'm 49. That's as far as it goes <laughs> these days. I just want to explain to you guys, if you're wondering what's going on down south for me, I do have a scramble suit on, but only <laughs> yes. only on my penis. So yes. you never get a clear sense of what it, it looks like. It shows up no to 500,000 different pin dicks. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> You know, I could be at any glory hole and not recognize your cock in one moment. We are, of course, talking today uh, about Millennium Mindfuck movies in this mini-series. Movies at the turn of the new millennium, that new century, the wild blue yonder, where things start to get a little bit freaky in cinema. Mm. We're talking about complex narratives, twists and turns visions of the future and weird freaky ideas and the one we're talking about today in particular is quite a weird freaky idea from a director that seems like an interesting choice to delve mm. into this mind freak world mm-hmm. uh mr richard linklater's a scanner darkly yeah he's the most normal filmmaker to tackle the genre at least so far yeah. in our in the films we've watched so far hamo just so you know we've done uh Fight Club. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We have done Memento. Memento. Yep. We've done Mulholland Drive. Mm-hmm. And now we are here at A Scanner Darkly. And those three filmmakers before, they have, you know, made more films that are weird mm. after this. I don't know if Linklater has ever delved back into the freaky deaky. What's the uh, movie with Matt Damon where he's tiny? That's no. not oh, no, it's not Linklater. That's, that's Alexander uh, Payne. That's one of his contemporaries. Yes, yes it is too. Yes. Uh, Oh my god! Yeah, no, Linklater, like, like the weirdest he's gone is mm. Boyhood, and yeah. that's actually very mm. grounded. It's yeah. just what's weird about it is the way it was made. Well, he yeah. plays with the yeah, he plays with the form in other ways, mm-hmm. but mostly he's a naturalistic uh, yeah. filmmaker. Are you a fan of his? What's what's your history with 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 Dick? Yeah, I <laughs> <laughs> seems like a personal question, <laughs> especially with the old scramble suit on. <laughs> uh, you know, the before movies, after movies, yeah. whatever they, uh, yeah. that trilogy's called uh, mm-hmm. Wonderful. I think Boyhood is yeah. just mm-hmm. sensational. And I have... The movie's not so bad either. <laughs> <laughs> it's not too bad. The What was fascinating was I saw this movie when it first came out yeah. and I didn't really connect with it mm. at the time. And re-watching it, I watched it last night, mm. it feels more modern now Mm. than it did. Like when it first came out, it was a bit like, I don't really like this animation. Mm. The characters are kind of not talking about anything. Mm. The story seems to be drifting uh, to all Mm. sorts. I didn't quite get what the point was. And then I watched it last night and I was like, why haven't I watched this Mm. like once a year? Yeah. 
I loved it so much more. Uh, I feel like with you, I feel like I caught up with him. I think yeah. he was well ahead of all of us. Yeah, I think he always has been. Yeah, I, I the more I watch of his stuff, the more I'm convinced he's one of the great geniuses. Um, but this movie in particular, my first memories of it are of Margaret and David reviewing it on uh, the movie show or at the movies or whatever it was called at the time, and. I think David did not really dig it. Mm. And then I can't remember if they interviewed him or if it was a separate press junket mm. where someone was asking Linklater about the rotoscoping that they used in this film. And he just kept emphasizing how hard it was and how yeah. he was in over his head. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've always viewed this movie as a failure mm. on right. some level because I think I've just seen it from that lens of him uh, on the promo tour being like, this was really difficult. I didn't know what I was in for. Yeah. It was hard to make it work. So I've always thought of it as like the uh, forgotten like failure in his catalogue. It's a really important lesson for anyone who is an artist who's listening to this podcast or mm. a creative type. Be careful of the narrative that you give your mm. own work. Yes. Because, yes. you know, oh, I was really depressed when I was making this and you go, oh, this must be their depressed yeah, album. I don't and then you listen to that. it. Yeah. Oh, that's full of joy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. you've got to be careful about how you pitch yourself. He should have at the time said, oh, it was great. I loved it. I loved yeah. horoscoping. And then after it's been in cinemas for a few weeks, then you go exactly. out and go, yeah. it was fucked. I hated it. We had so I many different teams of animators. Three years <laughs> yeah. going psycho looking at drawings. <laughs> oh, my Lord. I, I didn't know that until, you know, so I finished watching it. Mm. And then I just, you know, did a little bit of research just to see how it landed at the time. Mm. And I didn't know that, that there were all these different teams and they were kind of not on board with the, yeah. with the form that they were meant to be working towards. And then they had to go to like a Disney production line yeah, to, to give it, get a, it done. Which is um, crazy because maybe that's why he wasn't happy because it had a consistent look the whole mm. way through it. Whereas the previous attempt at this, Waking Life, is so freeform in its animation where mm. sometimes it looks photorealistic, other times it looks like someone scribbled yeah. it in a fucking notebook. It goes from being like abstract to mm. surrealist to yeah. cubist. It changes its form in so many ways, like capture this gr dreamscape, whereas this is like achieving surrealism and abstraction but still with some kind of naturalistic reality to it all yeah i think link later i think th the reason that i really pushed for this to be one of the movies included in this is because we are both link later guys we love link later and i find it fascinating that he at all attempted to enter this kind of genre cycle of mindfuck movies, like movies that are strange and complex and complex in their telling. And often these movies are complex in a narrative structure where they could be unfolding uh, in completely random order or a very specific order that is just not in sequential style. Mm. Whereas this movie and Linklater's mind and Linklater's entire oeuvre, this is a guy that is obsessed with time mm -hmm. and obsessed with like the linear passage of time. Mm. Uh, and that is what he experiments with is different ways of expressing that linear passage of time in movies. Yep. And this film, I think it does pretty much unfold linearly. Like yeah. there's nothing really... The only things that are kind of out of space in sequence would be when uh, one character is viewing footage of themselves and mm. stuff. But, you know, that's not, that's still probably in a linear way, but it kind of mind freaks out in a different style. And I find it really interesting to, for a filmmaker that is known for 
capturing the feeling of reminiscence and memory mm. in a realistic, naturalistic, yet completely poetic way, how he would tackle something that is science fiction mm. or something that is kind of verging on speculative fiction or verging speculative fiction verging on like out and out science fiction mm. and i find it fascinating because you know we've been talking about these movies as for the most part like the rise of the gen x filmmakers mm -hmm. that are speaking to gen x and younger about like the state of the world at this point and link is interesting to me because he's like that the last baby boomer filmmaker who mm. is just on the cusp of Gen X. So I feel like he is the last baby boomer filmmaker speaking to Gen X and speaking for Gen X. Mm. And I think that this movie is like one of the supreme fucking examples of why he sits in that space in time. Mm. So I feel like this really is like almost like the one of the last proper Gen X movies before like the, that kind of changes hands once again, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. That's interesting, isn't it? Like I hadn't really thought about that before, but you know, there's that, if there's that kind of baby boomer quality to mm. him with the, uh, you know, as someone who is firmly a, a Gen X uh, generation kind of guy, yeah. uh, you know, he, he kind of brings the wistfulness of uh -huh. the baby boomer mm -hmm. and has it through the cynicism and the and the the realities of Gen X where we were like, wait a minute, mm -hmm. hang on a sec, that's not quite right. We need to change these things. Like that's kind of it. We're, we're, we're the forgotten generation and therefore almost like the pivot generation, you know, because mm. we suddenly are going, hey, you know what? Looking inwards and working out who you are mm. is actually a really healthy thing. You don't have yes. to keep it repressed. But that... I don't also want to uh, bang on and 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 shit on the boomer generation because there was a lot of good stuff that came from it because it was a get up and go generation. Mm -hmm. It was a generation that survived war and thought that you know everything's going to be peaceful or working towards peace as it's uh, heading into the future. So it's a it's an interesting amalgamation in an artist. Yeah, yeah for me, it, it really is hammered home with that one scene in Dazed and Confused, which is a wistful movie about cynical people. Mm. Yes. Um, and there's a scene... Or people of, that are going to grow up to become yeah, cynical. Well, I think it's a, really fascinating. And they're kind of already there. Mm. Like there's a part where they're at the party at the Moon Tower towards the end and they're talking about the past and one of them is saying, well, you know, the 50s sucked, the 60s sucked, the 70s obviously suck, the 80s are going to be great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so to me, that's like him in a nutshell, that he's looking back fondly on this time when he was... Um, shitting on the present <laughs> right, <laughs> and not, right, and not enjoying himself and looking yeah. forward to, uh, you know, the ironic attachment of looking forward to the past that's, you know, by and large considered to be shittier than the 70s. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I fucking love him. And this movie has the cynicism as well. It's got the dreamlike uh, memory sort mm. of play that he enjoys where we're not quite sure what's real, what's in someone's head. But I think this movie is angrier and darker than previous attempts mm. uh although it does have a, a big heart at its core that i think comes out in the end especially the i i felt moved by the end of this movie mm. i thought uh, you know and what it is i've said to alexi before is i'm obsessed with richard linklater's empathy mm. and his ability to find people that would be considered marginalized people or minor characters or even villains in films mm. and he uh loves them yeah. loves them so much um, anyway, we've got to dive into it because there's so many characters that we need to talk about and yeah. we also need to figure out what this fucking movie means. So shall we dive into a Scanner Darkly? 
It may just be my imagination. Whatever it is that's watching. It's not human. This is a world getting progressively worse. Can we not agree on that? What's on this earth, Damage has taken place to the normally dominant left hemisphere, and the right hemisphere is attempting to compensate. Two hemispheres of my brain are competing? Yes. To sacrifice someone without them ever knowing it. What does the scanner see? All right, Hamo, we, uh, we're doing a very special segment now on this show. Right. It's, <laughs> it's a segment. It's a segment called Love That Logline. I yeah. don't know if you played it, but I think you might have played it once before. The, the game goes as follows. Yeah. Alexi has found a synopsis for this film somewhere on the internet, anywhere right. Right. Mm-hmm. on the World Wide Web. He's going to read it out to us. And the game is we decide if we like it or, or don't like it. Right, okay. It's a pretty intense game. Have you got Far the rules? Out. So hang on a sec. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just get this board out. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Right. <laughs> okay, this log line comes from a website that I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. It's called moviehousememories.com. <laughs> and this is from their film summaries <laughs> section. And it's a film summary for the movie, A Scanner Darkly. And it was written... February 9th, 2020, and it said it's a four-minute read. Oh, my God. Can we not read the whole thing, please? <laughs> okay. I'll just read this, this short synopsis. <laughs> Holy shit. Sorry. What? A four-minute log line? <laughs> that's, that's, that's a, a hell of a log. That's a script. <laughs> They've got a short one, too. So here's the short one. A scanner darkly takes place in a totalian, totalitarian society in the near future. Undercover detective Bob Arcter investigates a small-time group of drug users in order to reach their larger distributors of a brain-damaging drug called Substance D. The New Path Corporation, a recovery center that sponsors his assignment to help rid the world of the drug. However, when Archer begins losing his own mind and shows signs of schizophrenic behavior, his higher-ups force him to submit to tests to check his mental condition. And the final sentence you guys will like. Will he bust the dealers before he busts his mind? <laughs> I Great. do like that final scene. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I, I started to drift halfway through that. Oh, yeah. but that two, that... two uses of bust. Oh, my God. But that, yeah. that sentence that came before it, I assume it was all one sentence. That sentence mm. went for four minutes. Yeah, there was a long sentence, a bit of a run on. When you've got a few howevers and buts and yes, meanwhiles in the middle of a fucking <laughs> sentence. Yeah, too many. And I don't think it really told. It said the plot perfectly. Bob Arthur investigates a Small group of drug users in order. It says in order, yeah. not in order. Mm. Yes. Like, like Guns and Roses. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Guns and Roses style. Do the larger distributors of brain damage drug mm. called Substance D, Substance D. That's it. And then it's like, and then plus he hangs out with the fellas for a bit. That's where it should go to. <laughs> but right. I like that busts thing. That kind of gets me back mm-hmm. on board yeah. with this. Yeah. He's got to bust, bust them before he his mind. Will yeah. he bust them? Or yeah. will he bust his mind? Will he bust a nut with Winona Ryder? <laughs> yeah. Will he break out in a Buster Rhyme? Yeah. Will he bust some ghosts? What kind of movie is this? <laughs> Starring Buster Keaton. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes good writers are guys that can just win you back at the last second. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So I love it. Just needs a yeah, tight edit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I officially love that one. Yeah. Uh, okay, look. 
Did that mention Philip K. Dick in there at all? Uh, it doesn't mention Philip K. Dick in there at all, well, but I think we should begin mentioning him right now. We should start. We've mentioned one dick already, Link later, mm-hmm. and my dick in a scramble suit. <laughs> yep. That's, that's so again. one and a half dicks. One and a half dicks. So and I'm far. half erect, so that's uh, that brings <laughs> so us to a full two. two. <laughs> now, let's, let's mention the third dick, Philip yeah. K. Dick, yeah. who wrote the book, mm-hmm. which I believe you've read. Yes. I've read a little bit of Philip K. Dick, mm. and... So, so you've experimented. I've experimented. I've experimented with Dick. Yeah, a little bit of Dick goes a long way. <laughs> like a little bit, but not too much. But the thing is, is that what I find fascinating about Philip K. Dick is I love his ideas, mm. okay. but I find his prose to be dry. Mm. I find it really dry. And I often find that I enjoy his books more when I read about them than when I mm. read them. So I feel awful saying this, but Mm. I'm much happier with the Wikipedia page for Philip K. Dick than (laughs) I am for the whole book because it's because you know the story behind him. He had like uh, I think he ended up with four or five wives. He Mm. had to pay alimony for all of his kids, and so this is when you got uh, paid per page, penny a word, yeah. And so he, same uh, era as Elron Hubbard, actually writing right. penny mm. word sci-fi, mate. Yeah. And you know mm. he's taking all these amphetamines, and he's <laughs> staying awake all night, and he's churning out like he was saying he was churning out about 65, 68 pages a day. Good and heavens. that's why when you read all of his stuff, it's all about what's real? Who am I? Where do I exist? Am I looking at me? It's like, mate, you haven't slept in three weeks. <laughs> yeah. This is what's going on. <laughs> Suddenly, all of his books like. Blade Runner and mm. or Do Androids Dream of Electric <clears throat> Sleep and The Scanner Darkly mm. all really make sense with that mm. foreboding sense of paranoia. But I, I think invariably his ideas make better movies mm. than than books. So but that's just my preference. I just find it so dry that it's like, oh, I like this as an idea, but mm. geez, this is hard to get through. I've never read any of them, but I know uh that He's sort of one of those writers that people want to adapt, but they find him difficult to adapt. Mm. And most of the famous ones, like Blade Runner, for example, really just take a central idea from mm. the story and then extrapolate it into its own thing. Yeah. Is a scanner darkly, uh, what, is it like that? Like, would I hate the book? Because I, I liked the movie. Oh, <laughs> uh, look, no. I, once again, it, it just feels a bit dry, but they kind of keep to all the beats, mm. you know, like they, it's kind of all there. Uh but uh, yeah, I, I, out of all the books, that's probably the one that I enjoyed the most. Okay. Yeah. All right. From what I've read, Richard Linklater, he wanted to adapt a dick book and he wanted to go with one of his most Dallas, famous novels. Wasn't it? Or, uh, I think Ubik. Ubik, Ubik yep. which is like famously one of those ones. It's like people want to do it because it's such a beloved book. It's humongous and shit, yep. mm-hmm. but it's like very difficult to adapt and he couldn't find his way in. And then he stumbled through a scanner darkly and was like, oh, this is my kind of movie mm. i understand mm. these people bunch I of stoners sitting around a house yes, exactly <laughs> yeah. he connected burnout. to that yep. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> these burnout type guys like i get these people yeah. and from what i understand this is like philip k dick's autobiography really like he went through an experience very similar to this he just gotten through like a one of his big divorces of many it's i think it was uh divorce number four v- and, number four and, yeah Holy and i think he shit. got left in uh, with this big house with like she mm-hmm. took the kids and so then he just started letting all these homeless 
people who had drug addiction yeah. come and live with him. Like homeless teens and shit just yeah. moved oh into his house. God. So that's where all the dedications come from. At the end. Yeah, they're, they're all oh, the people wow. that uh, lived with him. Oh, my God. Him. Yeah. Also, that uh, continuing on from that, like some of the other like actual events in the film and events in the book are like based on true events in his life mm. where the Winona Ryder character in the movie is based on a relationship he had with like an older teen girl, which was non-sexual relationship, mm. but was like a dependent relationship upon mm. each other and like onto drugs and stuff. Yeah. Mm. Um, and non-romantic, non-sexual. Um, and then also the stuff that's really fascinating to me was he, one of them is quite funny and silly is like he um he's like you know obviously a paranoid guy mm. um and he is uh had these paranoias about like the fbi like surveying him bugging and having him. Yeah. bugging him mm. and having like a file on him so he kept on requesting to have his file to see what they had <laughs> on him and stuff because it's like not uncommon for like counterculture figures yeah, to have like these files on them yeah and then eventually they he got his hands on his file the only thing was in there was just all the correspondence he had directly yeah. with them. And then I <laughs> called on Thursday. <laughs> that was like uninterested in him. It was like yeah. a very, he was expecting like this big fat file to like land on his table. And it was just like a very thin like yeah. magazine basically. Yeah, someone uh, turned it into a paper plane and threw it from the other room. You know, this is an incredible lesson. This is an mm -hmm. incredible lesson for everyone. You know, especially during, you know, we're recording this in uh, year 700 of lockdown and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Yep. Mm. And it's when people don't get back to you, <laughs> I hate to tell you this, it's not because they dislike you or they're angry with you or they're upset with you or they think you're an arsehole or anything. They're not thinking of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so invariably your paranoia yeah. comes from, oh, geez, what have I done to upset oh them? God, Why haven't they, they been in touch me. with me? Yeah. You know what they're doing? Uh... God damn it, I'm lactose intolerant. I really want to eat that cheese. You're not in there. You're yeah, not in their yeah, yeah. thoughts whatsoever, yeah. you know? That's so true. And the <laughs> other thing that is like an autobiographical element that um, becomes the, uh, like where this film concludes, like the direction this film takes uh, as it fades out is um, we are in a drug rehabilitation program and Philip K. Dick got the idea for this drug rehabilitation program there's actually like some kind of psyop that mm. is actually employing the people in the rehab to be the new manufacturers and harvesters of the new drug yeah uh, of the drug that they're all addicted to um that is based on he had that idea while he was in a similar drug rehabilitation program called uh cyanon um, which is known as one of the most dangerous and violent cults America had ever seen, the Church of Sinon in the 1970s uh, in California. What did they do? This shit. Drug oh, rehab no. stuff and, like, I guess, like, putting it to a higher power. Um, I don't know too much about Man, it, but it was, like, attack shit. therapy is what it's known as. Oh, this shit is crazy up my alley i'm like just recently i rewatched the master sorry to go off on a different tangent i thought you were gonna say the mask <clears throat> i rewatched yeah. that freaky yeah. stuff yeah his face changes shape <laughs> i rewatched the master and uh, i've been reading a lot about the uh, or the origins of scientology through dianetics and mm -hmm. how yeah. they similarly to this um had like 
they tried to take over local governments and they like mm. infiltrated the government of Clearwater and Florida yeah. and other people. And they like, obviously they merge uh, psychology mm. with cult and religion too. It's so up my fucking alley. Mm. I could read about Sign On forever. Right. I want to join it. Really? Yeah, yeah. kind of. Oh, what do you do? <laughs> Be an enterprising guy. Start your own. Oh, I could never start my own. Okay, I'll do it. You've got the X Factor, brother. You can do anything. <laughs> Mate, you just got to lean into it. All right, we're called Cool and On, and okay. we're all really cool. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. And anonymous. And very anonymous. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, that's awesome. I care about my profile building, so maybe I won't join. I don't want to be anonymous. The <laughs> <laughs> sign on sounds like um, like Scientology's younger brother that never quite found uh, a footing. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, yeah. They fell over in the 70s, but uh, Sea Org kept the church yeah. of Scientology afloat. Yeah. It's so funny. So imagine, like, uh, you know, back in the day before they've both really hit it big. What do you sign on? You know, it's like Beatles yeah, versus Rolling yeah. Stones kind of thing, you know? <laughs> I think it's so fascinating that like Philip K. Dick and kind of could write this bizarre sci-fi story that adheres so closely to his own life as Mm. well, but then just kind of finding the almost like the detective story in his own life Mm. to like bring it to be something thrilling and something like worthy of like exploration. I also, I think we're going to find ourselves talking about the look of this movie and I think mm. maybe a way in is the this movie on a premise level is a bit of a trip. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, because it's quite a standard movie, it's quite like it's small, mm-hmm. it's set in the mm. suburbs and it's set mainly in a living room and an mm. office and shit. And like we said, like it's not trippy in its structure it's or like, anything. Yeah, it's, no, like it's the straightforward other films are and, and even technology wise, it's not like it's Minority Report where mm-hmm. there's, you know, like fucking precogs floating that's another in tanks. Philip K. Dick. I know, yes. that's why I reference it. I know, that's yeah. why I'm bringing it up. So I did a little research. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but, uh, but this is quite straightforward. Do you think that the visual look of this movie um, like aids the trippy factor of this movie or makes it trippier than it is? So I, fascinating. Absolutely fascinating, this choice. I feel, This is what I mean about, like I feel like this movie was released now mm-hmm. with that look and that cast i feel like this movie finds a much bigger audience mm. Mm. but because it was released when it was released i think it was so trippy to get your head around i've seen this film i had no memory of woody harrelson <laughs> yeah. i had no yeah. memory of winona Ryder, and they play two pretty prominent roles <laughs> yeah you yeah. know and i also think uh it it is incredibly trippy and it is kind of amazing. But I wonder if when it was first made, if they just used the animation for the scramble suits and kept everything mm. else in the real world. I think it might be one of my favourite Robert Downey Jr. performances. Mm. It's a hell of a performance. And because it's this weird... Pre-Iron Man too. Yeah. Right? Mm. And he And Iron Man 1 as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Iron Man 3 as well. Yeah. And <laughs> Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, I think it's such a great performance and I think it's hidden behind this animation so mm. people aren't quite aware It does keep, how good keep it you to arm's length. I think... Uh, I mean, I first saw this when I was a teenager, I guess, or mm. maybe, yeah, I would have been, yeah, I would have been a teenager and I liked it, but I didn't like it as much as I liked Linklater's other films. Mm. 
I think the look of it, even though it is cool, it is something to keep you away a mm. little bit. You go, oh, I don't. Do I want to watch that for nine minutes? Because it's singular. Mm. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's probably why I loved this movie when I first saw it. So I would have seen it just maybe a year or two after it came out. And it was like a DVD discovery for me when I was working at the shop and just seeing it like in whatever section it was in, like cult section or whatever. I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, mm-hmm. this is, is this a cartoon, but it's for adults. Mm. And I remember taking it and just like, I had no idea what it would be. Mm. And so it really was like discovering it as I was like in like heavy into my teen years where this is... I feel like it's at the petering out end of this being a genuine genre cycle of strange, weird movies. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe the people had lost a bit of the interest or like the hype around building these films up. And then it would kind of come back when like Christopher Nolan like starts doing Inception and like mm-hmm. making it mainstream in a different way or bigger in a main in a different way, more cinematic. And this one's gonna be like this weird, small, intimate hangout movie mm. in one level, and then another layer is like an espionage kind of three days of the Condor undercover thriller on another, and then on another level is science fiction, mm. speculative fiction exploration of the war on drugs in America. Uh, post 9-11 mm, uh, yeah. with the making of the film and then to be like this rotoscoped movie it's so singular and for the listener if you're not if you don't know what the term rotoscoping is it's a style of animation where um, filmed footage with actors is then uh, animated over the top of yeah, so traditionally trace and trace yeah, and painted and colored yeah. so traditionally like disney's known for doing this in, like their princess movies yeah they would film actors uh like playing baloo or mm. playing snow white is the first one mm-hmm. where it really is used in a very very effective way at a feature length level where they d- film everything they film character movements and they draw over and paint over them and then link later with uh waking life and this movie, they film it all on like DV cams mainly, mm. and then they animate over it for fucking years, mm. like in digitally painting and stuff. Um, so it kind of creates like a 2D image from a 3D image. And mm. so that's why it kind of lives in this. Incredibly unusual look. Yeah, yeah. This one in particular, how it almost feels like cell shaded, where it's like a yeah. 3D image. Mm. Yet it feels and looks 2D, yet it never doesn't feel 3D either. Uh-huh. Like it's very, very strange the way that like light is captured and yeah. shade is captured. And depth of focus. That is the one that really mm. blew me away on this. Mm. Like how things go in and out of focus as mm. they approach the camera. Yeah. They just become more detailed. Yeah. It's also uh asks a few philosophical questions as well. Like mm-hmm. uh the the obvious in uh, what what does it mean to be you mm-hmm. and and be a person and be across who you are? Also, uh, is a, is a war uh, worth giving up a soldier? You know, mm-hmm. for for what mm-hmm. happens to uh, Keanu's character and how he's treated? Uh, you know, and then it's uh, it, it's it's about friendship as well. Like it's about you know even if even if these people that you're meant to be searching are invariably, you know, in the wrong, he does have friendships with them and mm. he does have adventures with them and they do have things that make a, mm. make a bond mm. between Yeah, he them. might even be in love with one of them. He might be in love with them, yeah. right. You know, uh, which kind of... Uh, one thing I wasn't sure of, and I can't remember in the book, uh, do you think he did have a family? Oh, uh, yeah, so... 
That was interesting to me. That's the most, that element of the story where he has these memories of a previous life mm. and a family and a house in the suburbs. And mm. part of the drug, this job. substance D drug is it's an amalgamation of weed, heroin, LSD, mm. mushrooms, like any kind of addictive drug. And one of the side effects or desired effects even is hallucinations, very mm. vivid lived in hallucinations. That element where you're not quite sure whether those are real memories that have been he's been slowly forgetting due to drug abuse or whether they're hallucinations caused by the drug mm. is the most like on the nose and also on point mm. element of this genre cycle that we've yep. covered so far. Right. It feels the most like memento or something yeah. like mm. that. Um, and it's interesting. It's fun. Um, I kind of like the idea that they're not real. Mm. Um, but I also think it's the part that I care less about in this movie i kind of i like the more straightforward elements of this story the uh, the 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 part of that story that i find the most fascinating is the part where he talks about hitting his head and the moment that he hits his head is the moment that he realizes he doesn't want that life Mm. so if he doesn't have that life or never had that life that's uh, an interesting way of looking at something and Mm. then finding your way out of it but also who hasn't heard stories from people just getting up one day and looking around and going, mm. nope, yeah. this is not yeah. me anymore. I'm yeah. out. Yeah. And I've known marriages that have broken up over that. Uh-huh. Like I've seen people completely change careers yeah. over those kinds of moments. Of no, I don't do this anymore. So that that the overarching part of that I'm not that interested in, but that mm. very specific moment of hitting his head and yes. looking at his wife and kids and just going, yeah. I'm over. I'm done. I also think, uh, you know, with regards to all this and the questions of reality and what's real, what isn't, who am I, maybe if this was a straightforward film that hadn't been animated on top of mm. this, we wouldn't really care about this movie and we wouldn't be talking about it and maybe it would just be one of those movies that came and went of that time. And, and it's Ooh, a- Yeah, like what's that one that Michael Winterbottom made? So you can't even remember Michael Winterbottom um, and uh, freaking Samantha Morton. It's called like Code 46, Code Unknown oh, or something God. like that. Yeah, oh, right. And yeah, it's like right. that totally one that. is kind of like the political message is like borders and stuff. Sure. Right. But that's, I yeah. feel like it could be the movies of this era that are doing this kind of thing that aren't this movie because it's like visually unique. Mm. There's stuff like that where they're, or where they don't, their sci-fi movie set just a little bit in the future, but it's mm. not doing too many things mm. apart from like speculative stuff. Mm. So it would be kind of like Gattaca, which is a visually distinct and exciting movie, mm-hmm. or uh, Children of Men, which is a visually mm-hmm. distinct, exciting yeah. movie. If this one was just Richard Linklater with a camera filming yeah. these people, filming this story... And, you know, one of the visual uh, things in this movie that is not becoming more common in sci-fi is the idea that, like, not every piece of technology is made the year this movie is set, which is in the future. Mm, yeah. We've There's got old, old shitty cars. Yeah. Old We've got shit shitty mobile stuff. phones. It's the smartest movie you I can make that. in a uh, sci-fi movie yeah. to stop it from aging. Yeah, yeah, yeah very true. And some th- old and some new. I think if this was a filmed movie, like, that wasn't rotoscoped, it would just be. It would look like fucking well, School of Rock or Bad News Bears, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> like it's well, not. Yeah, it would have yeah. to be a different film, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Like it, it would, would have, have to be. be 
contemporary. You'd have yeah. to make it set in contemporary. I think world, some of I the think. actors could do could still do a great job with mm-hmm. it, but I think a lot of them benefit from the fact that they're being cartoonized. And and I also think that. Uh, I mean, I like the way this movie looks. Mm-hmm. I yeah. I have come around to it now, especially. I yeah. really enjoy it. But one thing I, I will say is that I, I rewatched Waking Life after I watched this mm-hmm. movie. In the last, I did it before. In the last twenty four hours, <laughs> right. I've watched A Scan yeah. Darkly and then Waking Life and then Before Sunrise, mm-hmm. all in a row. Wow! And uh, I wonder what you're going to watch next. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I don't know. Probably Before Sunset, but um, <laughs> I think it makes a bit more sense thematically in Waking Life mm. because that movie is about yep. lucid dreaming. Yep, and it's it's specifically about that uncanny valley feeling mm. of being awake but asleep knowing you're awake the animation gets more more real like and then when when it becomes a crazy dream it gets trippier and mm. psychedelic i can i think it makes more sense being used in that movie but having said that i think this movie would uh suffer from mm. not having it can I make this is the way that I saw it this time. This would be my suggestion as to why this choice works thematically as well. Is I see the choice being to ground this film in reality is and to make this a film that speaks to the present instead of just speculating on the future is that it grounds the hallucinations in the same world that the rest of the movie is. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that's the only way like to me, that's why oh, I think okay. I it's you. the most effective use of like those drug, like drug trips in movies mm. to have the whole movie already look weird, already feel <laughs> like it's in the same yeah. space. So yeah, that way yeah. you, it's hard for you as the viewer to even realize where the reality is yeah. between the hallucinations yeah. yes. and the reality. For someone who That's is losing point. all sense of self, mm-hmm. then this works perfectly. Otherwise, you probably end up with something like uh, Naked Lunch, don't you? Oh, yeah, 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 suddenly yeah. it's like, it's an animatronic <laughs> yeah. uh, cockroach, cockroach. Yeah. yeah, big yeah. fish man kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, that's a fair point. Maybe that's... I can I can justify that. <laughs> I buy that in my head, and now yeah. I'm back on thinking Richard Linklater is a, a genius. A yeah, genius. <clears throat> but it, it did feel. I, I think at the time it was so ahead of the curve, and in, mm. in, in even like the topics and the way it was approaching it, that mm. it was like I needed to catch up. And I'm so glad that you made this suggestion mm. and gave me a reason to go back and rewatch it because mm. I remembered enjoying it. Yeah, but rewatching it, I was just like, oh, this is much better than I remember, and I'm more mature and knowledgeable to be able to appreciate it. Mm. And you you mentioned uh, some of the cast members before, and that's I had the exact same experience <laughs> where I had forgotten Woody was in it. Yeah, Woody Harrelson turned up. Oh, my God, I love Woody so much. How how do I forget Woody Harrelson? Yeah. 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 (laughs) I mean, I kind of even forgot... Bobby DJ was in this, mm. you know, like, and it's his a, famous nickname, it's a, yeah, Bobby DJ, <laughs> and it's like a, it's a showstopper of a performance. Mm. It's like it's a, great. Oh god, oh my I, god, I, like, I, he really, this guy has it. He's got the X factor. Yeah, I feel, I, I feel like he's good. Yeah, I think he's. Yeah, I reckon he'll go on to things. I, uh, <laughs> I was watching it and I weirdly had this because because he can't see him properly. Mm. I was just like, oh, this is him appearing this is mm. robert downey jr appearing in the elton john i want love clip like that's oh, that era yeah, you know that, that weird era, thing yeah. where he he mimes yeah, to the, the elton john song yeah. but it was like around that period where you were like 
he's back again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, a it was kiss, like... Kiss, kiss, bang, bangs, yeah, like, around this the, time. Oh, yeah, is the tentative steps mm. back. And uh, I think he's fantastic. And uh, It's a character, too. It's like, I mean, obviously, there's elements of what he does, mm. the fast-talking sarcasm, right? That's, that's a that's thing that charm. he can do. Yeah. Mm. But it's a... It's a character. Like, yeah. this guy's loony. This guy's yeah. a fucking freak. Well, he reminded me, like, actually, Harrelson and, uh, what would you call him? Bobby DJ. Bobby DJ. Yeah, Bobby DJ. Uh, his Bobby famous DJ. nickname. Yeah, his famous nickname. <laughs> Everyone knows it. Um, the They kind of reminded me of people that I grew up with. Mm, like, right. very specific, like, that's weird... Uh, you know, that weird aggressive playfulness that men can mm-hmm. yeah. have sometimes mm-hmm. where you're sitting there going... I'm watching you guys, but if suddenly one of you picks up an axe, oh, I'm yeah. not going to be surprised. Yeah. yeah, if one of you snaps. The, like, this is really close. It's a genuine danger, which mm. I, it becomes so exciting in that one scene where Woody Harrelson's character is choking. Yeah, right. And Bobby DJ sits there and does nothing and just yeah. watches him and doesn't even watch, just kind of acknowledges it yeah. and then just goes He's back walking to around, the, uh, looking away from it, yeah. like, purposefully. It's, yeah, that's... I felt so tense during mm. that scene because yeah. I thought that's the type of guy Peaceful. these guys yeah. are. They're mm. like, yeah. they're just, they don't necessarily want to inflict harm on people, but they also, they don't care if someone gets hurt. Like it's a they, bit fascinating. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Oh, uh, you know, that, uh, that thing down there seems to be in pain and I guess I could make a call mm. or I could just see how this plays out. Oh, I'd better make a... Oh, no, he's fine. Okay. Mm. Really, it's a really interesting character. It's And that sort of uh, pseudo, you know, paramilitary... Conspiratorial. Conspiratorial. It's borderline John Goodman in Lebowski, mm. yeah. but turned up to it a crazy... Yeah. Little, yeah. You know, it's Lebowski on acid. Oh, my yeah. God. Okay, that's a good way to sell this movie. <laughs> we must talk to them back in 2006. <laughs> yeah, let's go back. But it, it, it's funny. He's kind of uh, Goodman uh, dialed up. With a drug addiction. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I love the moments where he goes to the cops. Oh, I just too. find them so funny yeah. and yeah. the way he's, you know, everything's coded and, yeah. you know, it's all so he can get a job is just Oh, that great. type of guy. And I think that's very Philip K. Dick. Like, I think that's yeah. kind of where he was at. Like, a, a, do you reckon he would have? Like, I think one of the things he talked to the FBI about was, like, he was ratting out some of his friends. Oh, yeah, yeah, Or just, yeah. like, ha- like the people living in his house. I think he was <laughs> yeah. ratting them out from yeah. what I read. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and my God. Also, is- Robert Downey Jr., he looks like fucking David Cross in this movie. <laughs> I always thought that he looked like David Cross because he has thick glasses, thick on. glasses, mm. two pairs of glasses, bald head, <clears throat> in like kind of that Austin, Texas world. Right. Even those movies set in California, they filmed it, quote unquote, in Austin, Texas. Oh right. yeah, um, I, yeah. I forgot it was supposed to be California. I just assumed it was Austin. Always anything linked that assumes <laughs> Austin. Always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, that, that's funny because when I was watching it, it, even though I knew it was set in California, I was getting uh, Heisenberg. Mm, oh, New Mexico. Yeah, New Mexico. Yeah, so, like, you mm. know, specifically when, you know, when he goes back to his place and it's all overrun mm. and mm. someone's broken in and spray painted it. It's yeah. like if if he turned up, it would have been like, oh, yeah, no, nah, this all makes sense. <laughs> hey, while we're talking about performances, I would love to give away one of our Oscars a little bit early because mm-hmm. the performance I want to talk about, I think specifically speaks to the larger point of the performances in this movie and how we kind of access them. Because that's what I got. I've seen this movie maybe like half a dozen times. Like this is one that I come to and I 
mainly um, come to it <laughs> perhaps in my early That's 20s really personal yeah. wow jeez all this dick talk geez, i would say you know when i was back in my era of being quite the stoner myself this was one that i would chuck on very frequently and what happens stays while the movie's playing you know <laughs> i entered a different reality um but i would love to give away a best character actor oscar mm. to a character actor that appears in this movie and appears in another richard linklater movie we've talked about before dazed and confused mm -hmm. to mr rory cochrane mm -hmm. who is playing uh the fourth in like this kind of friendship circle of stoners. Yeah. Um, he is the most affected by substance D. Well, mm. we start with him, don't we? We start <laughs> yeah. with him oh, having yeah, like a fully freak out with like bugs crawling over his yeah. skin, which is like a real thing that freaking uh, Philip K. Dick said he had a friend that was exactly this character, like with like... He and when he hallucinate like, that he was skin was covered in bugs, yeah. that's like a crystal meth thing. Yeah. Right? So I, think, I mean, it speaks to substance D. some rude stuff. <laughs> you, can't be, you can't be smoking meth, guys. And this guy's fucking writing That's about it. Rude, You're telling yeah. him the secrets of your life and he's writing yeah. it down in a book? Yeah. What? <laughs> That's got an intimate detail. This is why you should never be friends with creative people because... He'll turn you into a freaking Rory Cochrane character. He'll turn you into a freaking sketch or something. <laughs> but, uh, and even though that's all animated, mm. I, I found that hard to watch. I found it very mm. itchy yeah. Oh, yeah, to watch. gross. Like I, I noticed that I was sitting on the lounge and moving around. Yeah. And at one point, he's washing his own dog, dog. in the shower with Poor him. Dogs. And I started feeling sick watching yeah. that. Like, oh. Because you know what the worst thing is? The dog's fine. The, the dog's, dog's not on meth and yeah. not covered in he's bugs. Giving, <laughs> he's giving the dog fleas. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think Rory Cochrane's performance is for me, probably the most necessary performance in this movie because he like truly enlarges himself and exaggerates almost every physical movement, every facial movement to this cartoony level. Mm. I think him, he almost like Robert Downey Jr. effectively bridges the gap between the cartoon and the naturalism and Rory Cochrane's all the other way over on this cartoonish world and kind of in a way justifies the animation and plays to the animation gives people mm. uh, something to freaking golem all over and mm. freaking give him some interesting facial characteristics and stuff and well, some he interesting has, physicality. Sorry to interrupt but he has uh, the hallucinations as mm -hmm. well like when he thinks the oh, cops yeah. are going to come and but, shoot him in the face. And, and that interdimensional yeah. being reads oh, out his sins. Oh. Man. on a big scroll so cool that actually when we're talking about that cop scene where he the cops in a dream sequence pull him over yeah um i think that's <clears> awesome <throat> because like in richard linklater's vision of the future cops only wear riot gear like it's just yeah. a guy on patrol wearing full riot gear i also like that it's just because the cop is like uh incompetent yeah like, he just really can't remember the yeah. miranda rights <laughs> <laughs> And he gets frustrated yeah. himself and I'll shoots him in the head. Shoot him in the head, mate. <laughs> I love that. That yeah. doesn't feel like it's maybe that far off, yeah, right? Exactly. Like, it's like, really, for this came out in 06, and yeah. you know, it was written way before that. It feels like it's we're already there. Mm -hmm. We're yeah. at that point. I think it's like it's the performance aspect of this film is so interesting because I think Keanu, Winona, and Woody, and then I would say majority of the smaller supporting roles in this film, they all inhabit and ground the film in like the naturalistic reality 
Roy Cochrane's in this expressionistic world all the way on the other side. And he kind of captures the actual expressionistic, surrealistic, abstract tones of the animation. Mm. I think it's like, for me, this was the version, this was the watching of the film, the viewing of this film, where I feel like I unlocked like that aspect of like why the performance mm. styles are this way. Mm. And I was reading about it and Roy Cochrane, he was there for two weeks of rehearsals, like with everyone else, like rehearsing over and over, figuring out the movie before they start filming. But he said that he didn't really figure out the character and how he was going to play him until he was fucking on the way to set on his first day. And he was <laughs> wow. just like, oh, I'm going to exaggerate everything. I'm going to make him a real jitterbug. That's so interesting. Wow. Because wow. he, he's, uh, it's not like he's a stranger to playing a drug freak. Like yeah. he's played the most iconic looking one in Days and Confused. Confused. Yeah. You would think that he would just breeze through this. Yeah. And even in Empire Days, Records is like, yeah. Sort of not too far away from this world. Yeah. Like actual drug freaks are fucking based on his portrayal of them. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's yeah. not the other way around. Yeah. Like people yeah. base their personalities on that freaking guy. He, he's yeah. he's the drug addict version of uh, Goodfellas and uh, the Godfather movies <laughs> yeah. for the mafia. Oh, yeah, yeah. One hundred percent gave stoners an identity. Yeah. Um. But that's yeah. So that's interesting that he put that much uh like anxiety into it. Like clearly he just didn't want to do the same thing. Mm. And wanted to find a new element. I mean, thank... Oh, man. I think that's... It's a great performance. Mm. I think he's so good. He's one of those actors that doesn't get enough uh, play, to be honest. Yeah. So I'm glad you've given him an Oscar. He yeah, deserves finally. the Oscar. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's the eyes. Mm. Uh, but he's also... He's not overdoing it either. Like, yeah. he's not... He's not... He's... He's not jittering all the way through it. Like there's moments of stillness and then mm. pausing mm. and then looking and then, you know, it kicks in again <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. I would argue that maybe even a Bobby DJ uh, gives a bigger performance than him. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. it's pretty out there. Oh, yeah. I think that he, I really think Robert, D, sorry, excuse me, Bobby DJ. Yeah. I think he bridges the gap between all yeah. the performances. Mm. I think he's spectacular he's, in this. He's the glue. Absolutely, absolutely. And I also think, I think it's just perfect casting all around. Like Woody yeah. Harrelson, you get him to do his Woody Harrelson thing. Yeah. I think he was a last minute addition. He replaced someone, but I can't remember who it was. Mm. Uh, I'm just going to make a guess, Raul Julia or something. Yeah, I was going to say Lawrence Olivier, but... Uh... <laughs> Peter O'Toole, I don't know. Meryl, <laughs> Meryl Streep. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just throwing a few guesses out here. Probably right yeah. somewhere. But uh, you, you know who's kind of underrated in mm. this is Winona Ryder. She is a fucking. Uh, she's a sensational in this yeah. movie, I think. Yeah, because uh, like a real reminder of. Mm-hmm. Wait a sec. She's a really good actor, and this know. is when she's out in the woods. Basically, woods, yeah. she's been freaking abandoned uh, by Mr. everybody. Deeds. Well, she's out in the woods at the end of that movie when she falls into that frozen <laughs> lake. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right. She hadn't done much around this time, and uh, yeah, she's fantastic. It's crazy we haven't spoken about her or Keanu mm-hmm. all that yeah. much, and that sort of. The centerpieces of the movie, in mm. many ways. I think Keanu's really good too. I feel like there's this Perfect kind of classic. like a, yeah. a like a lost Keanu mm. performance. Oh God, I do, I just remember when I was a teenager and people would talk shit about Keanu's yeah. acting style, and they'd say he's wooden and he's boring and blah blah blah. And and I think I just bought it when I was mm. younger. I'd I'd agree and go, yeah, he is, he is. But you watch it now and you and. You, I mean, the guy's covered in fucking animation in this yeah. movie, and I'm still like sucked right into his friggin' eyeballs. You, you know, there's some actors just now and again have one performance that gets hung around their neck like a millstone, mm. and mm. It, I, I believe 
it is Dracula. Yes, and him I, and Winona once think, again together. I think oh, yeah. they're both Coppola, poorly right? mm-hmm. cast, even though it's Winona going to Coppola to yeah. make it. To make amends. It's just not right for him. Like the, mm. It's just not the right role for him and that is fine, but it's yeah. just like... You know, he's wrong. He's just, it's, I love that movie. I think it's a masterpiece. So do I. And I can't give it a full five stars because he's just wrong in the movie. He's just wrong. Mm. Just get Mm -hmm. who should have been Carrie Ells. Well, all the people I just suggested Raul Julia, (laughs) Lawrence Olivier, Meryl Streep, all those, all all your go to guys. Chris O'Donnell. Could have been been Chris O'Donnell. One of the biggest stars of 1997. (laughs) He could have crushed it. Chris O'Donnell. Goodness. You know, actually, Kilmer could have done a good job. He would have crushed it. Kilmer yeah. would have done it. Yeah. He would go on to work with Francis Ford Coppola on Twixt. Never seen it. Yeah, what about? Worry. I have had the candy though. <laughs> what about is is Matthew McFadden <laughs> the right age? Oh, I I, uh, I, I think to, that's before his time. But yeah. God, he'd be good. He would be good. Yeah. I think he's in the need, Dracula. You need you need someone English. You need yeah. someone who mm. you know. But anyway, I I feel like that. You know, like you stand up for people, mm. you know, and you say, you know, no, 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 this artist yeah. is great. This artist is fantastic. And then they'll just do something that takes away your argument. Mm-hmm. And that for anyone who was a Keanu detractor, it was just like, here's this big film where he's shit. And everyone yep. went, oh, yeah, okay, then. Well, fair yeah, enough. You got to pick shame. your battles. You can't be, you can't go after every guy. You can't go like, you can't back every horse, you know. I spent my teen years going for freaking Tom Cruise. Mm. I feel very validated eventually, but I couldn't be looking after Keanu as well. I had to look after Tom Cruise. Yeah, but I think Keanu is now in a, in, on, of all the actors of that generation, probably in the best spot. Mm. Like people love him now. He's a cultural touchstone. He's, he's a folk icon. hero, dude. He's a folk hero. He was one of the first memes. Mm-hmm. People love him. I don't feel bad for Keanu. I think he's just fantastic. But I do think that at this time, maybe he wasn't looked upon as a great actor. Yeah. Um, and I think it's wrong. He's really. I don't know what it is about he's it. He's a movie star. It's, he's a movie star. He yeah. has it. He yeah. has the fucking charisma. I think it as well. He has a unique ability that I think is very, very rare, but it is why he is one of the great leading men of our era, of our generations, because he is truly has that touch of the blank slate quality mm. where you can put a lot of yourself of like, you know, like in a book, an unnamed protagonist or something where mm. you're meant to be like in the position of that protagonist. Mm. He's one of the few cinematic versions of that. Mm. Like that's why he's Neo. No one else could ever be Neo in the Matrix mm. because you are Neo when you're watching the movie. You're like that's yeah. fucking me. Anyone can watch that movie and imprint on Keanu. Yeah. He's a great imprint actor. There's well, few of them around. Yeah, that's a really Raul Julia. And Raul one. Julia. <laughs> All the classics. <laughs> yeah, Gomez. Well, that's why I watch Gomez. I'm like, that's fucking me because <laughs> That's that me. woman. <laughs> That's, That's me, me kissing Mutish's ma- arms. <laughs> Hanging out with the thing. You Shout know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is it is interesting because then, you know, like the, the well-known story is that Will Smith turned down the Matrix mm. and then suddenly. Well, Imagine that. Well, Will Smith is the one. <laughs> Yeah. In the yeah, real world. Exactly. So why is he the one in the movie? Yeah, We're well. living in his freaking Matrix, dude. I mean, I would kill to hear the song that he would have wrote to mm. put it. Matrix rap. Yeah, I'd yeah. kill rap. for that. But <laughs> but yeah, I hear. I, and you know, it's interesting too because it's <laughs> I've been trying to articulate what it is I love about Keanu and why I find him so watchable. And it's just some people are lucky, born lucky, to have a face that is mm. just 
great to watch. Yeah. And he just has one of those faces where he's handsome enough and he's like has sad eyes. Mm. And you never just, underestimate sad eyes. Sad yeah. eyes do a lot for an actor. Yeah. And you just every time you watch him, you're just like, so I'm so famous. happy to watch this fucking guy. Yeah. I just want oh, yeah. I can't believe I get to watch this guy's face in close ups. Well, I'm there's, so lucky. There's also uh Getting back to your blank face kind mm. of uh, point is that there's a because there's not too much going on. There's a truthfulness to what he's doing, mm. and also, like, we all just kind of knew he was decent. Mm. Like we just knew it. Knows like we knew guy. it from all the roles that he did and the few interviews that you saw. You just went, that guy's decent. Mm. Yeah, and, yeah. And I think that's part of why this resurgence has happened. John Wick comes along. Perfect mm-hmm. movie for him. Mm-hmm. They kill his his wife dies. They kill his dog. They steal his car. Fuck! You're so angry for Keanu. Great, <laughs> yeah. he's back. He's had then, a rough few years. Then he goes on Colbert. <laughs> yeah, they, you know that perfect interview. What do you mm. think happens when you die? And then he just gives that beautiful answer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we've just all been reminded he's decent. Mm. Yeah. Can I make a suggestion just to throw this to the group? Of what is this movie if instead of Keanu Reeves, it features the, I mean, the freaking De Niro to Linklater Scorsese with Ethan, Ethan Hawke. Hawk. Oh, man. Do you know, it still works. Yeah. They're, not, still they're works. not too far from each other on that spectrum, in my opinion. I think maybe Ethan Hawke brings uh, a bit more neuroses oh, to a role. You. I was yeah. just about to say neuroses. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I just watched before sunrise last night mm. and I'm probably going to watch before sunset tonight. And then yeah. what will you be doing at midnight this evening? I reckon I might watch a little film called School of Boy, Rock. Chele, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're putting it on. <laughs> but he, he's quite, um, I think he channels, he's the avatar for Linklater's um, neurotic intel- yeah. uh, pseudo-intellectual side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, clearly, clearly Linklater has a lot of that in him where he loves to babble about things that he half knows about. And I think he gives a lot of that dialogue to Ethan Hawke in mm, his movies. Yeah. And he does it perfectly. I, I think, yeah, Keanu carries himself in a way, even when he's thrown, he seems like a dude who is in charge a lot of the time. Mm. I think Ethan Hawke has a more beta male um, energy to that him. edge as well. Yeah, yeah. I would say the beauty of Keanu and why I think he works well in this movie is like, the guy can't help but be sincere. Mm. And I mm. think that um, gives this wounded effect to this character at all times that works so powerfully with this arc and the journey that we're on with this character in this mm. film where he is being manipulated and we don't even he doesn't even know he's being manipulated the whole mm. movie. And I really was affected by the arc of this film on this watch yes. where we learn that he has been used and betrayed by someone that cares for him, which is the Winona Ryder character, who is his dealer in the in the in his undercover work, but they formed like this And his superior. And, and they formed this like non-sexual dependent relationship um that is verging on some kind of romance. Yeah. But then we find out that she in is in the other scramble suit. Yeah. Spoilers as Hank, his superior. Mm. Yeah. Um and I read Richard Linklater talking about like Winona was like, I'm playing Hank as well. I'm like I don't care if I look heaps fucking short, and Hank is really short. Yeah, and she's just like you can, it's like add you can add like an inch on me or something. Mm. But she plays Hank as well, and it's like fucking believable. But when I rewatch the movie, knowing that she's in that 
as well. That's her on screen. Mm. Like that character awoke for me the whole time. I was like, oh yeah. shit, that's such an amazing performance. But it hit me so hard in that like his whole journey in this movie is slowly being manipulated to become a truly addicted to substance D, mm. this highly addictive drug, to then be sent into this rehabilitation plant that is uh, a farm that harvests the crops that make substance D so he can infiltrate it unknowing un- he doesn't know it but he's gonna he's been like kind of manipulated to the point where he's in there to basically be on a mission to infiltrate and then bring stuff back but then the way that he's bring stuff back is like oh my friends will like these things well he doesn't mm-hmm. know he doesn't he's, know he's been manipulated to such an extent and and in the process has been broken mm-hmm. and therefore been reshaped this is a story about not knowing who you are and losing sight of who you are and they take advantage of that mm-hmm. and they reshape mm-hmm. him into this weapon that doesn't know it's a weapon and yeah. so when he goes in there i found the ending Mm. To like when because you don't really know mm-hmm. if he's going to work it out, and when he finds that flower and just hides it, it there's just in the back of his head somewhere. I've got to do this, yeah. and I'm going to show my friends. It's it's it, it's kind of a triumph and a tragedy at the same mm. time. Yeah. yeah. Oh God, it really it really hit me on this viewing. I think as a kid watching it, it didn't it didn't really have the impact it does now. But maybe it's you know you're getting older and yes, <clears throat> re, you know. You know, realizing that you you don't quite know everything, and 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 people we now at that age where we probably have been manipulated by friends. Well, and, I was about to say, yeah, you yeah. know what? We now have uh, uh, an experience of like mm. we can all think of a time when we have been manipulated mm. yeah. and not known it at the time. Exactly, yeah. and you know, like it might be years later before, uh-huh. you, yeah. and you go, motherfucker, you yeah. Know, I I allowed that to happen because I believed that person. I didn't question yes. them, and so I think uh, I think it plays oh. into that now. It's a very adult emotion to be expressing at the end of a movie, and and also. It's tragic, but it has a bit of hope. And it, mm. visually, it's beautiful. He's in this yeah. big fucking wheat field, yeah. picking up blue flowers. It looks so serene and mm. so pretty, but it has this like dark, tragic uh, undercurrent to it. I was really moved by it. And then with that closing scroll of like this emotional message from Philip K. Dick from the book where he mm. dedicates the work to all the friends that he's lost to mm. this war on drugs, basically, mm. and drugs and stuff. And then his name is amongst the names as well. Mm. I think I can't remember, I I think it's in the novel as well that his name is in there and he considered himself lost to drugs when he wrote the novel. I oh. think it is too. And um, I think that um, watching yeah. this now, like, you know, I saw this movie when I was, you know, I guess 16, 17, Mm. um, when I caught up with it. Now watching it again as like older, it's the experience has changed where like, oh fuck, I know people that lost their lives to drugs Mm -hmm. now. Like Mm -hmm. either literally died or they lost their minds and never recovered. Yeah. And like seeing that going like, fuck, this is such a personal movie. And like science fiction often is personal, but to this degree, I don't think I had seen something, at least in a long time, that felt once speculative and far off into the world of some kind of future while commenting on the on the now. 
to really feel that intimacy, I think is the unique thing about this film. Because it's always even, an intimate story. But I didn't then even remember there. that element of it from my... I, when I, my memory of this film was it just ended in the field, right? I didn't remember the scrawl of names. And I, uh, I felt myself tearing up watching it yesterday because it's not only did Philip K. Dick write that at the end of the book, but Linklater chose to leave it in because, yeah. because to him, that was the point of the story mm, was yep. that people lose their lives and their will to live or their consciousness to the war on drugs to drugs to police mm. states and richard linklater obviously as a as a creator is incredibly empathetic towards mm. these people and to, mm. to drug addicts mm. and i i started getting fucking emotional in the yeah. lounge going man this is a guy who fucking feels. really feels mm. and he and it's almost like he read that part of the book and thought oh well i need to make this yeah you know, i need to show the world that these are people and sure some of them might um, be fucking idiots and some of them might be yeah. weird but they're fucking people and they have feelings and they're yeah they're they're being lost well it's it, we reduce everything to statistics like everything gets reduced to statistics mm, mm. and through that it uh it God, takes away especially the now when you see statistics every fucking day oh yeah Mate, like you know you know it's 2022 i do mm. not know anyone who isn't in some form of crisis mm-hmm. like mm. some of it's low level yeah. but uh, but i know a lot of people bang on the edge and every day you get up it's the covid numbers it's mm-hmm. uh it's a volcano going off in yep. tonga it's putin moving towards russia mm-hmm. uh, to the ukraine it's uh suddenly uh you know keanu's in trouble from china for being uh <laughs> pro uh tibet mm. you know like it is relentless like you can't even watch sport oh djokovic yeah. he doesn't want to play because you know like everything's politicized everything's reduced to numbers and that's why we're so uh you know we're, we're very much at the edge of our mm. skin with everyday life and i feel like this movie uh didn't necessarily predict that we were here but we caught up to where the movie was set like that mm. seven yeah. years later is now yeah yeah and you know you can get those uh you know they're making those um uh, those fabrics and that that reflect light and mm. you know like yeah. kind of like invisible etc. So we're not too far off the scramble suits either. Oh my yeah. god, I got to get one of those things. I'm yeah. totally up for it. You want to? You, you just want a g-string? <laughs> yeah, again? I want to get a suit g-string. Mankini version of it. Yeah. Um, well, can I ask you this before we get into our categories? If you're putting on a Richard Linklater retrospective film festival, mm. are you putting a Scanner Darkly in there? Because it's a, such an outlier. His filmography. Is it essential because it is that outlier? What do you think? Yeah. You know what? Like it's maybe like whatever movie you choose to, uh, you know, build up towards. So Mm -hmm. so maybe just for argument's sake, you're going to show a few movies during the day. At 8.30, you're going to watch Boyhood. Yeah. And then at midnight, you've got a scanner darkly mm. so it's like it's like your epilogue to oh, your, yeah. your, your link later f- uh, festival i like that it's interesting i uh i think i really love waking life like i find that film really powerful mm. and really special and i think for what it's what it's doing visually and what it's about um, and I would have put this to the side and said, yeah, Scanner Darkly is kind of a, a similar attempt, but it, it didn't, you know, didn't quite land for me. But on this viewing 
And also with the knowledge that he has another rotoscoped movie coming out. Oh, really? I didn't yes. know that. I didn't he's, know that either. Uh, he's been working on a film called Apollo. A scanner brightly. <laughs> it's called Apollo Ten and a Half. Oh. <laughs> and it's uh, it stars Jack Black. Oh, my God. I'm in. Glenn Powell, Zachary Levi. Oh, my God. Glenn Powell, a great astronaut actor. <laughs> yeah. And uh, was he in that? Um... He was in Hidden Figures. Yeah, Hidden Figures. He That's plays... Like he plays John Glenn in Hidden Figures. Oh yeah, yeah, right. There's he a few others too. in this too, but it's coming out uh, allegedly this year. And it's, wowza! So that now makes me think. Now we have an official trilogy mm-hmm. of rotoscoped films. This is now his style when he does animation. God, it's like you know Wes Anderson doing his claymation yes. bullshit. Yep. He does rotoscope <laughs> bullshit. So now yeah. I think you got to have it in there because this is now an established part mm-hmm. of his yeah. visual language. Yeah, shit. Maybe at night time we play the rotoscope scope movies at this festival yes yeah. or during the day for the kids God, okay <laughs> listen I, I think i'm coming up in my head just off the off the dome there's a perfect link later festival where before sunrise you play before mm-hmm. sunrise mm-hmm. Yeah. after midnight you're gonna play after midnight mm-hmm. and then before sunset guess what you're playing you're playing the movie. Bernie. The same t- yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're playing Bernie and we're playing, of course, yeah. School of Rock. We're doing our Jack Black trilogy. Yeah. Total makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Oh my God. Okay. That's a festival idea. The Richard Linklater Linear Essentials. Yep. Oh, we wow. We play that's them in linear order. That's interesting. Uh, well, you know what? We started talking about politics there and I think that leads us to the next Oscar yes. that we want to give out because this is fucking great. This is one of my favorite my favorite tiny details of this movie is that there is a cameo performance from, um, how would you describe him? Political commentator, uh, rabble rouser, Mm -hmm. town crier, town crier, Trump house, semi formal, um, Mm -hmm. fucking, uh, Mouthpiece. He? he was like a kind of. He a was kind of like the mouth Trump. of Sauron, or you know, in a kind <laughs> yeah. of strange way. Infowars host Alex Jones mm-hmm. is in this movie. He has a he he has a bigger role in Waking Life. Yeah, um, I mean they're other... both about they're almost the same amount of screen time. Mm. They're like a minute each, essentially. But he's more forgettable in this movie. You can kind of blink and miss him here, but in mm. Waking Life, you're like. Um, I think because Waking Life is this dreamscape, it's one of the few things you can hang on to where right. there's so much shit going on <laughs> yeah. in this movie. You're like, oh, Alex Jones, I forget. But like people, like the article that I've pulled up is Richard Linklater on casting Alex Jones in Waking Life. I just thought he was kind of funny is the quote in the title. <laughs> wow. yeah. And then I'm putting in... Um, I just put in command F scanner darkly, not fucking in the article, <laughs> not even mentioned in it. Right. Um, but, uh, this is, uh, it, it's interesting going back cause he was just like an Austin character. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, a, is he, is he Alex Jones at this point? He it seems like he is almost fully formed. Cause you, I mean, the two bits you see of him in both of these films, he's doing what he does. Like he's right. just ranting about yep. things that sound anti-authoritarian. Yep. Or, I mean, it, he has the dialogue in A Scanner Darkly is more purpose-built to mm. the movie. Yep. He's talking about the police state and about Substance D and shit. Yep. But Waking Life, I doubt they wrote anything for yep. it. Mm. It feels like it's a rant. It's a rant. Yeah, wind like, him up. Yeah, just let, let him, him go. go. Hey, can yep. you talk vaguely about this? Yeah, sure, yeah. easy. <laughs> so the connection was that uh, Alex Jones was a t- uh, public access TV host when he auditioned for the role in 
uh, waking life. Mm. And Richard Linklater says he was this hyper guy that we'd all kind of make fun of back in the day. And I'll read you some more quotes. America from him has around such this. a history of that shit, though. I mean, if mm. we had public access, we kind of do. Yeah, like Melbourne has that station. Mm. And no, uh, the uh, my friend runs uh, Channel Forty Four in Adelaide. Channel oh, Forty Four, yeah. yeah. Which, uh, which uh, little side note. Uh, Liberal Party was trying to close down for six years, and they she's managed to she's managed to uh, keep yeah. it open, keep the license, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, so and, and got a three year contract. She's been amazing. Oh, that's so good. Shout out to my friend Lauren. She's it's, been amazing. I wish there was more of it. I don't think Sydney, maybe Sydney used to Sydney, have one. Yeah, yeah. So there used yeah. to be one. All like every state had one, and then it was they were all shut down uh, under this idea that these uh, uh, channels were going to be used for other things and the Liberal Party yeah. didn't want to give them out anymore. But, you know, they're so important because, it, like, that's where that's where Rove started. Yeah, was that yeah. Channel 31? Yeah, that's down in Rove down started. Yeah. Melbourne. You and know? Hamish and Andy and stuff. Yeah, you yeah, know? a bunch of people. I like, think in S- Sydney or New South Wales, like, we have more a focus on community radio than, like, Yeah, that's probably right true. Kind of stuff. But, but America has a real history of these kind of, like, public access. Wayne and Garth Late night. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. guys just with two cameras in a fucking mm. small studio and they yeah. can just talk about whatever they want. Yeah. And some of them become cult figures and become quite famous. And I think Alex Jones at that time was just one of those dudes in Texas who would go on t- on his fucking shitty network, probably like a hundred people watched it, and just rant about what whoever was in the government, mm. yeah, like very anti-government. Oof. Yeah, this is what Linklater says on exactly that. You know, I haven't talked to him in years. I talked to him a bit during the Bush Cheney years. He always positioned himself as anti. So when you're anti, he's your bedfellow. Yeah, yeah. well, exactly. So Bush is in power. He hates Bush. We can all watch Alex Jones and go, fuck yeah, this angry guy's talking about how shit Bush is. Yeah. And then when he changes his tune and is like, actually, um, the Trump administration is great. I mean, all of a sudden it turns him into a fucking superstar. Mm. Yeah. Infowars blew up in 20, 2016. Like it was yeah. just everywhere. It was fucking, oh, I heard about it every day. Oh yeah. It's the, it's the secret source of the conservative right, which mm. is the ability to take the arguments of the left. And while the left is arguing with itself about its own arguments, mm. uh, it uh, reworks them to then work for them. So yeah. suddenly yeah. you've got these right-wing conservatives <laughs> saying, we've got to bring down the government. And you're like, you are the government. And yeah. then people are going, no, I'm with them because they don't like the government. And you're like, they are the government and they're saying that they're going to bring down the government, mm-hmm. but they're not going to because they're the government. It's like, oh, yeah, you're a typical liberal. I'm not. I'm arguing with you. The typical liberals are arguing amongst themselves. <laughs> Fuck, someone get me a drink. <laughs> but he's like, you know, de- been deplatformed mostly since mm, then because yeah. of like awful things he said about like school shootings and stuff and yeah. priceless actors. Well, I think you the, know, the it first is time always... I heard that, yeah. Yeah. false flag crisis actor was out of his mouth yeah his crazy voice says you're gonna kill me licking the toads and stuff yeah (laughs) crazy guy but that's what happens you're like you start to believe your own shit and then suddenly you're saying crazy ass things like they've got actors (laughs) being shot in the face what what? yeah Yeah, anyway so we like to give an Oscar out to best use of (laughs) best use of crazy freak crazy freak best use of Alan Jones let me read this last uh, quote from Linklater taken seriously on a national level I would have never thought I'd see the day when the president of the United States knew who he was, much less going on his show. 
It's crazy. It's insane. But it fits our times. You you know what we Fair need? Enough. We need Linklater to make a movie about Richard Linklater mm. and the the moment that sets it off is him at home with his you know God. with someone and then yeah. suddenly taking a drink and then sees Alex uh, Jones on uh, yeah. with Trump and <laughs> like what <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then trying to go back through all his work to see who else might come out oh, oh my man. god that's Act- so funny hey you know what if they make a freaking Alex Jones comedy Fucking another Richard Linklater staple, Jack Black. Oh, Jack Black. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That yeah. yeah, great, yeah. Alex Jones. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Hope they don't make that movie, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> I know, it sounds all right with Jack Black, yeah. it? Yeah. In fact, maybe we should pitch that as our reboot for this instead God, of a reboot yeah. of A Scanner Darkly. A rotoscoped Alex Jones movie because <laughs> yeah. he only acts in rotoscope. Yeah. He's one of the great... Yeah. You know, freaking no, Andy, Andy Circus. <laughs> Andy Circus has got his mocap. We got Alex Jones of the rotoscope world. Yeah. So he, he's sitting around at home going, this is bullshit, mate. Mm, like yeah. Andy Circus. What's that? I I'm do a rotoscope, rotoscope guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's actually... He's an actor who's only worked with auteurs. Yeah, That's dude. crazy. That's Man, so crazy. Him and John Cazale, dude. Oh the my two god. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like this idea of a Jack Black Alex Jones movie and it's charting mm-hmm. like it's charting the rise and fall of local public access yeah. crazy to yeah. White House um correspondent mm-hmm. guy yeah. to like back to the wilderness. And the yeah. rotoscoping allows for all of that fantasy to take place yeah. and it blends it with reality. Yeah. Yes. The conspiracies feel real if they're all yeah. in rotoscoped. Oh my god, that's so cool. This that is actually is a sick idea. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's hope we make it then. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm actually into this as well. Like yeah. this actually went from being hilarious yeah. to is someone writing this down? Yeah, this is good. Yeah, we're getting good at this reboot shit. Yeah, I like this. In fact, I don't even want to pitch a Scanner Darkly reboot. No, no, I don't think you can. You would just be because the world's so fucked up. You're just telling the same story again. You yeah, know? yeah. Oh, uh, Hamu, thanks so much for joining us and talking about Scanner Darkly. Always such a fucking joy to have you on the podcast mm-hmm. and get kind of always whenever we want to do something weird where we can get a little bit spacey and philosophical, we got to come back to you. Always, oh, yeah. Always Thank you. so much fun. Well, I was wrapped, as I said, uh, I had not thought about this movie mm-hmm. in a while. And when you sort of uh, pitched it to me, I was like, great. Uh, I was up for it. I always enjoy doing this podcast. And then I sat down and I watched it last night and I was even more wrapped. Yes. It was like, oh yeah, not only have I forgotten that this is good, it's actually better than I remember. And I'm I'm more up for the challenge. It's a little treat. Well. Hey, yeah. when it yeah. happens, I love it. Well, Hammer, you've got Big Squid. Uh, you've also got Space Podacy. Can you tell us about the podcast you've got at the moment? Yeah, so uh, what we're doing with Big Squid is we have these different podcasts, but we keep them all on the same feed. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's the Big Squid network, as, yeah, uh, as we it love were. That style. So mm-hmm. what we're doing is we're doing our deep dive directors. Uh, the next one coming out uh, is we're doing David Lynch. So the next one is Blue Velvet. Ooh. We've just start, uh, We've just recorded our first episode for Space Podacy. We've done Gravity. Oh, awesome. Uh, there's a, we do a, a segment called Pass the Amel, which is uh, looks into osploitation, and we've just watched Firebite, the first episode <laughs> oh, of that. Cool. And uh, about to introduce in the next week or two a storytelling aspect to awesome. the podcast called Beautiful Tales for the Disenchanted, which will be an anthology series of... Uh, just short stories that will range from the funny to the surreal to the sad, whatever we want to kind of tell. That's Man. awesome. So yeah. the Big Squid, uh, the podcast link is in the description for this episode. Click on straight through. Like Hammer said, there's something for everybody there. So add it to your 
feed, add it to your rotation and jump in when there's something that you want to join in on. Yeah. Um, if you want more from Cameron and I, can head over to patreon.com slash totalreboot and sign up for just five bucks a month to get access to bonus podcasts. We have just decided we're going to add one episode in this miniseries, Patreon only. And that movie is eventually going to be Simone. The oh. Al Pacino movie from the director of Gattaca, which is a Hollywood satire where oh. he directs a fake actress made out of a- like computer stuff. So made that- out of bits and boops and beeps and bops and <laughs> ones and zeros and shit. Yeah, so join us over there for in that. In fact, there's a one and a zero in her name. Yes, it's binary. It's yeah. binary. Sim one. And do you know what it is in the movie? I don't want to spoil it, but I will. Simulation one. Yeah, simulation one. <laughs> and he edits out the letters in between and goes, oh, right, Simone. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to watch this. Awesome wow. movie. Awesome movie. So join us over there for that. Cam, what do you got coming up at the moment? A bunch of my comedy festival shows are on sale at Ooh, the moment. Mama. So if you'd like to come see me in Melbourne at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, those are on sale. The ticket link is um, in the show notes, I guess. Yeah, it's over in the there. Show notes. And uh, what else is about to come on sale? Perth, Brisbane, Gold Coast, and Newcastle. There's a lot of stuff coming up. Follow me on Instagram for those tickets. Hamo has been helping me out mm-hmm. with the show. Mate, I'm just going to put you under heaps of pressure with this comment. I reckon it's going to be your best show yet. Yeah. I'm pumped. Oh I love the concept. I think uh, after what we did today, seeing what you've already done, the shape of it mm-hmm. is there. And I oh think people are going to be not only uh, really surprised at uh, uh, just how enjoyable it is. It's really funny. It has a through line. And I think think you're gonna really raise the bar for yourself yeah. so and if it bombs i have you to blame <laughs> yes <laughs> yes you do yeah, i'll just tease a concept for me because the concept's awesome cameron found a diary a journal of all the songs he wrote when he was yeah. a teenager with dreams of being a rock star and they're very like sincere songs oh yeah he's gonna be playing them and talk I'm about like this mate, imagined I'm world and real the songs life. the songs i wrote when i was 15 and i'm telling the stories behind it and it is humiliating oh <laughs> It is panic corrections ahoy all the way through. Yeah, this is not Keanu. This is the Baylor Ethan Hawke. This is very Ethan Hawke energy. <laughs> <laughs> so come along to that. Uh, yeah, follow me on Instagram. I am Cameron James. Uh, Lexi, you At are. This is Alexi mm-hmm. Hammer on the socials. You are. I am Justin Hamilton underscore on Twitter, and you can just find Justin Hamilton comedian at Instagram. All right, and what's coming up next week on the pod? Well, next week on the podcast, we're going to be talking about. Being John Malkovich. Until next time, uh, keep on smoking doobies. Link letter style, brother. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>